This is Shabbat Shuvah. This is uh, the, sh- the Sabbath of Return. We have had, is it six? Sabbath, Sabbath, Sabbath of uh, Consolation? Seven. Seven Sabbaths of Consolation, where your prophet reading has been designed to comfort the people with regard to the exile, the destruction of the temple, the destruction of the city, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and this one is the one that is between Rosh Hashanah and Yom HaKippurim. And this is the Sabbath where we're talking about returning. Where God is is saying, I will return, you should return, everything will be better. Turn your gladness, your your mourning and sorrow into gladness and joy and so on. So that's that's what this Sabbath is all about. So I hope... uh, I hope you sense that in the readings and what we're doing today. Okay, so uh, our first announcement, uh, of course, is uh, is that this this very 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 young couple has amazingly, even though it appears that Gabby's only twenty-seven. Uh, has been married for 23 years today. Mazel tov to the uppers. I, you know, I joke about it a lot, but I, I really... You must have been 12 when you got married. Close. Close. Spoken by the That's right. And uh, there'll be story time at 3 p.m. today. It's learn about the other. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's first. And then uh, second, uh, we've had an introduction uh, today, um, actually last night, for those of you who may not have been here, um, for the first time. And what was that introduction, Isaac? I believe your daughter and I are engaged to be married. Hoorah! <laughs> <laughs> I believe it, too. I believe it. Yes, indeed. Can I get an amen? Talk along, amen. Get a witness. That's what we're looking for. Two witnesses. So, uh, mark your calendars for the back end of May. Uh, or next year. Depending on family. 
Maybe sometime in that vicinity. Hey, you know, ish. It's May. Back into May, ish. Do what you can there. So uh, we're we're grateful for that. Um, Juliana is. Uh, Juliana is looking at me with 2020 vision for the first time without. All right. Thirty-three days. Thirty-three. Thirty-three days from today, and uh, then uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the tradition, uh, they will not be going on a honeymoon immediately. Uh, they will actually be uh, spending a week uh, to hear the seven blessings yet again through the week after the wedding, as they. Uh, visit your homes and have uh, dinner in your homes for the first time as a married couple rather than just two really cool looking young people. So, uh, Which will still hopefully be true. We can only hope. So it's exciting. So uh, we're, we're, we're looking forward to that. Um, how many of you have seen Fiddler on the Roof? Mm. You've seen it? Yeah, at least once. Okay. So uh, if you recall in the bar, I know, for former Baptists, yeah, um, they're in the bar scene there, and uh, and a guy comes out. He's got in this very cool black hat. And he picks up the bottle of wine, and he just kind of scooches it down on his hat, and he goes, and he starts doing these really cool leg deals with the bottle on his head. Are you Special doing hat. that at the wedding? I've actually asked. Oh, okay. I've actually asked Rick <laughs> if he would do that dance with me, and I want you to know that he did not. Not at the wedding. He did not. That's what I was talking about. After the wedding. No, after the wedding. But at the wedding venue. So I, he didn't even bat an eye, and he goes. No problem, just tell me what size hat to buy. <laughs> <laughs> and so they they actually have cousins who can do this. See? I, I have, just a little caveat, there won't be any wine at the wedding. So you'll have to bring your own empty bottles. Got that. <laughs> no problem. If you watch the movie, it is an empty bottle. Because if you drop it, who would waste that would be a waste right. of the wine. So anyway, if, if uh, any of the men in the group, especially Jerry... Are, are interested in, in making a total fool out of yourself and doing the whole leg thing with the hat and the bottle. And, it's cool. You know, like it. It's you know, cool. And then, then we'll be dancing in the circle with the men and all that. If, if you're interested in that, shoot me an email, call me, let me know. Cause you, you mean it at their wedding, right? That's what you mean. I only have about... 33 days left to try and put something together. So, anyway, that's, that's it. That's, yeah, there's going to have to be something here. Plastic bottles, you know, fake ball caps. You know. Oh, you guys are working out. You're ready for the chair dance, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, of course, we know Mai is going to be there. We don't care. That's right. But can you get two chairs? So, uh, so, so that's that's. So if you again, if you're interested, if you let me know so that we can we can put together some practice sessions and uh, you know we'll, we'll take. There is super glue. Yeah, that's cheating. So that's cheating. That's cheating. I, I, I will not accept any cheating. You take, you take the hat off. 
Sorry. And the bottle's stuck. That doesn't, yeah. That's ruined. Yeah. I'm, I'm just looking for a really, really lush hat that'll hold the bottle really well. But uh, um, then there'll they'll be secondary classes to teach all the white guys rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. You can't teach that, actually. Yes. Yeah, something's going to have to happen. So anyway, that's the deal with that. Um, and Gloria will be... What else? What else am I missing? Am I missing anything else? Is that it? Sephardics and Rus do help with Sephardics do this Okay. Uh, if you are planning, if you're a man, if you're a man, and you are planning to come to the uh, Yom Kippur Kol Nidre service, um, I have uh, acquired a machsor for you as my gift to you and your encouragement in your walk. Ladies, if you will just leave the extras there, you can look at yours on Tuesday night, and I'll put those on the shelf each year. Um, but men, if you have an opportunity to look at that uh, beforehand, so that you have some clues to what we're going to be doing and why, um, it's good stuff. So take one of those with you if you don't already have one. Okay. We begin with the prophets. Yes, sir. Uh, in terms of announcements to kind of in that yeah, absolutely we're in that announcement mode yeah uh, Sukkot um, it, it is my understanding that I know the scripture are planning to do your Sukkot and Sukkot thing on the first night and we're looking for the sequential Sukkot party that's not the same as a progressive Sukkot party which would be all the same night and right? we sequential. Have the night. And sequential Sukkot night and it looks like the Barto seems Bartosets, Bartosets, Bartai, the Bartai. <laughs> Those Bartoses have a second night. Yes, sir. Please continue. We have uh, whatever that night would be, like the fourth or fifth, or whatever the Friday night is. Friday night, Erev Shabbat. Erev, How Shabbat consistent? Kol, 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 please uh, plan on coming and celebrating in our Sukkot. Outstanding. So now we have. Three of the seven. Along those lines, we have a theme. Yes. As you, as you have the soup and suka. We have the tabernacles and tapas theme. Tabernacles <laughs> and tapas. Of them to finally um, coalesce with uh, brews and booths. <laughs> I like it. I'll be there. Brews and, and booths. To be in- included in the brewed beverages. We will have coffee, of course, and coffee-like substances. <laughs> and then the only other brew, really, which will be the spa beer. It, yeah. it, it sounded better than beer and booths. and booths. All right, so we got soup and yes. suka, tabernacles <laughs> and tapas, and beer and booths. Beer and booths? No, booths and booths. Okay, so there'll be a quiz on that later, and who can say it fast? It's either that or Pizza Hut. You know, a young man has a reputation when he can say a simple word that we all say all the time, and he says it, and it's funny. Pizza Hut. I get it. Tabernacle booth. Yeah, that's hot. Yeah. Good. That's, uh, that's quick. That's quick. It took me a little longer than it did for her, but I still got it. All right. Thank you, and God bless you for stepping up there and uh, sharing your sukkah. Do you have a time? Do we have a time? It'll be on the meetup. Yeah. We'll put all the details out there, but 
Um, See Morgan to get into the meetup. Tuesday night. Uh, you are planning to have class, right? Which is going to Actually, Tuesday night during Sukkot will be studied class in the Sukkot. Okay. We will actually be performing a mitzvah or two by studying the Torah and being in the Sukkot mm-hmm. at the same time. Because mm-hmm. that's really four nights taken, and then I think it just leaves three others. Three left. They're going quickly. <laughs> going quickly. Going once. Okay. So, yeah, check your calendar and see what you want to do there. So that'll be great. All right. Whew. Now, we begin in the prophets. There are three prophet readings for, uh, for this particular Shabbos, the Shabbat of Return. This is the 52nd of 54 portions in the year. Vayalech is the 52nd. The next one is Ha'azinu, where we get the, uh, I think, the Song of Moses, right? And you see in the Torah scroll, it's actually separated. It looks really cool. Uh, and then Vezot Haberacha, we will not do in the normal Shabbat uh, prayer service. That will actually be done right here for uh, Simchat Torah. So let's... Uh, Let's make sure that we've got our calendar straight. Uh, Tuesday night is uh, Arab Yom Kippur. Wednesday is, of course, the fast, 25 hours. The only fast biblically mandated. And uh, then that's the 10th of Tishrei. And then five days later, we begin Sukkot, uh, Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, that will begin on... Monday, Sunday, Sunday. Sunday night, and we'll be here uh, Sunday night for Sukkot and Sukkah. So then we've got the seven days of Sukkot. Can we bring our lulav and etrog? Do you want to bring, yeah, okay, bring yeah, your bring lulav, etrog, all that kind of stuff, you know. Otherwise, it'll be like ten years ago when I'm the only shmo that has them, and then Rick starts bringing his, and now we've got two. And, yeah. So yeah, everybody needs to bring those so that we can all weigh them uh, best we can. And, and the etrog, right, Hebrew for Ugly lemon. <laughs> Bring the ugly lemon. And uh, so that'll be on Sunday night. And then uh, that begins the seven days of Sukkot. Uh, the following, is it Tuesday night, I believe? Tuesday night? Monday. Sir. Tuesday night? Tuesday night, I believe. Because it's got to be... Monday night. Shemini Atzeret. Shemini Atzeret is on Tuesday. Mm. No, it's on Monday. The, the party's Monday night on the Bellator calendar. It's Monday. So it's seven days, right? Thank you. So it's seven days from Monday, so that brings us to Sunday. Then Monday is Shemini Atzeret, the eighth day. And then that evening kicks off Simchat Torah, which will be Tuesday, which is Monday night. Got it? So Monday night, if you've never done it before, I think everybody here has, right? We will be reading the entire Torah out loud. And if we have this kind of a core group, this is a good group. When you got so many people, it sounds like cacophony. When you get a group like this, it isn't. When you get a group like this, you can actually begin to pick out the various things. So we're going to do this. Everybody's good on it? Good. Hosea chapter 14. Hosea 14. The very first word in the uh, in the Hebrew there is shuv. 
tshuv. That's return. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Hence, Shabbat shuv. Uh, right? Shuva. Okay. I was giving you the the lemma, the root, and you're you know, okay. I got it. All right. The Shurish, yeah. Shurish, not the lemma. Okay, sorry about that. Yes, it's the Greek. And whose kids are these anyway? Alright, so there we are in, in uh, Hosea 14. Who wants to give us that uh, from 1 through 9 in the English Bible? Somebody? Somebody? Anybody? Return, O Israel, to, the, to, to Adonai, your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to Adonai and say to him, Take away all iniquity except what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. And you, the orphan, finds mercy. I heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel, and I shall, uh, and uh, he shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive, and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow, and they shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the, the, the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of, of Adonai are right and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble. Okay, now, I don't particularly care what your past church affiliation bring upbringing is. I don't, I don't care. I don't think it has any bearing at this point. What I do want you to do is look back to what you were taught, and I want you to look at at least the first two verses of this passage and tell me what does it mean when God says he will take away all iniquity except what is good, and that we, that is us, we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. What does that mean, especially if in every Protestant religion that I am aware of, this speaks of a time yet future when Messiah will come? How will you pay with bulls when Messiah comes if A you're of the bent that there will be no temple. B, you're of the bent that the sacrifices are completely gone away and have no bearing in our lives anymore. So, Jesse, anybody? My, my first version says fruit. Your, my your, NRV says fruit of and our And we will pay with... Fruit of our lips. The Septuagint and the Syriac have the fruit. The, the Septuagint and the Syriac have the fruit. We pay with the fruit of our lips. Okay, that's good. That's a... We, so we can see where, where it comes from. Is it translated, we will pay with fruit the vows of our lips? Or, or with the fruit of our lips? In, we in, may offer the fruit of our lips. Offer. In Hebrew, okay. it's it's a play on, this is a play on words. Yeah. In the Hebrew, you've got the, um, the word parim is like, I believe, the same um, lettering. 
that you would, I guess, have for fruit? Well, pari. Pari. Parim. Okay. But then par being the word for bull, so there's a play off on that. Um, and then uh, it looks like um, nishlema is the um, the word for pay or um, substitution or whatever else. Um, Meshalem is literally the word for payment in, in Hebrew, like I'm going to pay you. Um, and then it's uh, and then it's simply parim seftanav, which is our lips. So the Hebrew is actually really simple. It's like we're going to pay with our bull lips or something to that effect. Um, so it's like either our bull really lips simple. or our fruit lips. Hence, How many hence, of you have fruit lips for breakfast? <laughs> so I guess I, my point being is that the Hebrew is somewhat simple, but it lends itself to, I guess, some different interpretations how you're going to characterize it. Good. Good. So Stern's uh, Bible says something different. And it's much different from Stern got it from JPS. It's a Jewish Publication Society. Right, right. Can I go ahead and give that? If you must. I'm not a fan, but go ahead. Well, I'm not either. I just thought I would. Right? You know, you're carrying it, baby. Go ahead. Okay. It says, uh, we will pay instead of bulls the offering of our lips. Now, that's actually... That's what the... That's the most... Sure. The art scroll is close. Yeah. Art scroll says that our lips substitute for bulls. It says, let the confession of our lips be in place and sacrifice Good yeah. Nick, baby, good got it. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. You got it written. Is that is that's that? Good. Got the yeah. Yeah. Um, good. Um, I think it's important always to recognize the bias of the translators. Not that they are deliberately biased, but there is bias, and we need to recognize that Protestant translators have a Protestant bent, and a Jewish man who's translated and doesn't believe that the Torah has any purpose or relevance in his life now is always going to translate away from. Anything like that. So, but good. It, the, the fact of the matter is, so far, the Hebrew goes either way. Right. Bull lips. And, it's a plan. And on that note, one thing I've, I learned recently that in, in, in the Talmud, there's there's discussion on words like that that have two different meanings. Which one do you go with? Right. And the answer is, it's not so much what's what's uh, how it's spelled, but it's how it's read. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's that's the interpretation that you use. And you think about it, it fruit. And, and, and verbal vows aren't, I mean, you don't offer fruit and on, on the idlers. There's no sweet, you know, the, and it, the, the Torah actually says nothing with honey, nothing that, that has that sugary uh, right. cut context. So, so it's, it's easy enough to, to draw the conclusion it should be read as bulls. That's right. So. God bless the Talmud. But the, the interesting thing is, and this, this is one of the few times, I think, that the Protestant bent and the Jewish bent are in agreement. Maybe not always in agreement, but they're in agreement for a moment. Right. And because it, after after the destruction of the Holy Temple, at Yavne, they 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 wondered what will what are we, we going to do? do? What are we going to do if we cannot offer offerings? How will there be any mm. atonement? So they concluded that for a time, for a season, while well, there was, was no, no temple, temple, this verse is their basis, and this verse is because of the play on words is that our prayers will substitute as offerings. Mm. That is exactly. But that, but, why but Protestantism does the same thing. Absolutely. It just says it's permanent. permanent. Yeah. yeah. But that's why I brought it up. That way you would understand that it is our prayers. That's the only thing that we can offer now because there is no temple. Mm-hmm. So it is the fruit of our lips. 
that has to act as the bulls that we would provide for the vows. By the way, how do you know how many bulls for the vow? What's what's up with that? Depends on the vow. It does depend on the vow, but there's really only one that's talked about in the Torah. What vow is it that requires the bulls when you make the vow? The Nazarite vow. You take that vow, you cut your hair to start it, and on one of the festivals, you go back to the temple, and you cut your hair and end it. And we see the Apostle Paul doing exactly the same thing, and it says right there in the Apostolic Scriptures how many bulls he had to purchase, because he wasn't just finishing out his vow, the Jerusalem Council and, and James had determined that he should make a statement and not only pay to end his vow, but I think it was four, was it four other guys? Five total, four other guys, they're ending theirs, and you know, why don't you pay for their bulls as well, there to, for them to end it, so it's a good thing. Um, alluding to Samuel, I think it was, um, where the Lord's, or where it is said that um, obedience is better than sacrifice, mm -hmm. um, I can see um, that in light of this, you know, connected, you know, that the fruit of your lips being obedience uh, versus an actual sacrifice. Well, I would say that the fruit of my lips is only part of my obedience, but how I walk out my life, what I do, would be the obedience. Well, yeah. But if you're just going to go through the motions, you're going to go make the sacrifices and then live like hell, unquote. That's, that's not what God's looking for. He's looking for that consistency. In our or life. fruit. Fruit alludes to obedience, in my mind. Well, no right. question about it, but fruit of the lips is specific uh, of what you're speaking, you know, mm -hmm. praise and so forth. I think, um, I like that. Nice. <laughs> that was good fruit. <laughs> can go along with that song. Um, we were always supposed to bring the offering in obedience, what God commanded us to bring that. But it's coupled with prayer from your heart as well. Okay, so then there's a situation where the ability to offer the sacrifice, it's not a choice, you're not doing it. The ability to offer the sacrifice is taken away. So you continue to do what you've always done. Nothing's changed per se in, the, in, in how it works so much as you just can't fulfill the commandment. You can't physically do it. You can't physically do it, but it hasn't changed in how you approach it. There's no change in that. It's just a change in the fact that you're not able to fulfill the actual physical commitment. That's a great point that I think a lot of people, including myself, didn't appreciate in the past, that sacrifices were not just, I mean, it was coupled with, like you said. It wasn't just the action. They were intentional. In fact, the Midrash talks about folks that, you know, living in the mind of the priest. Well, how does he deal with this guy who comes? We all know this guy. He lives in the town. We, we know him. He comes, and he's doing the sacrifices, but we know his heart's not right. We know he's not living the walk. You know he's not part of the community and so forth. You know, how does the priest deal with that? Does he, does he have the ability? Does the priest have the ability to say, I know your know, heart's not right. Forget this. You can't, you can't, you can't do the sacrifice. The priest cannot do that. He has no no ability to do so. He must take that offering. But does God need to accept that offering? No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. What can change? What can change that heart of stone and cause that man to have a circumcised heart? 
Spirit of God. A high priest who can actually make the believer righteous. One thing. And that high priest actually, I think, is talks about what you just said when he says, if you go to present an offering and you realize you have sin in your heart for your brother, go to your brother and deal with that issue. Wait, wait, wait. Leave the, yeah, leave, leave the leave offering. Yes, I meant. Yeah. Leave the offering, go to your brother and deal with that, and then come back and Amen. give the offering. That is because that high priest. In the end, you know, he, he explained that to us. Is if you didn't get the point before, he just... As Yeshua does with a lot of things. Yeah, if you didn't get the point before, it's going to spell it out for you. Like, the commandment is extremely important. But the commandment is the physical manifestation of what you should be doing and uh, offering prayer to God in your heart already. Amen. Amen. It's the fruit outwardly. Yes, sir. Good job. That, that idea of the circumcised heart, it's referenced twice in, in, the, in the Torah. Once in Exodus and then once in Deuteronomy we read a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because the reference in Exodus, Moshe, God speaks to Moses and says, tell the children of Israel they must circumcise their heart. Mm-hmm. I love but, that. But then in Deuteronomy, God says, I, I will circumcise your heart. So then which one is it? Do we circumcise our hearts? Or does God circumcise our hearts? What's the answer? Yes. 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 <laughs> so, uh, and that one will really throw the Armenians and the Calvinists into a tizzy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> They're both. For a man who didn't speak well, he sure had a lot to say. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's go over to Joel. Joel two, please. Now our our goodbye had to start in fifteen in ten, and now my thing said to start in fifteen. Uh, so I don't really care where you start this particular one as long as you read it. But I would like to take a look at verses fifteen and sixteen, if not all the way to eighteen. Joel two fifteen, blow the shofar in Zion, consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly, gather the people. I would submit to you that that is precisely what we are doing. On Monday, we blew the shofar. We uh, are consecrating a fast next Wednesday. We are calling it a solemn assembly, and we are gathering our people in order to do that. Consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. This is important, even more so than marriage itself. Why? Why does that bring that in? What other reference do we have of the bridegroom and the, and the bride uh, with regard to the child and how it supersedes so many things? What you, what, what's coming to mind? Their relationship uh, supersedes going to war. Precisely. Thank you, son. If uh, if they're going to go to war, and you got married, you got a year off to love your wife. That's cool. You think that would help the marriage, don't you? <laughs> got it. Jerry, just take a year off, bud. You know, love your wife. I love the way the fact that uh, Paul commands men to love their wives. It seems like God did the same thing. 
even giving you the time off. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? This reminds me of the morning prayers. Doesn't it remind you of that? We get to that part where it says, uh, Is it in Takanun? Where it's over and over again. Oh, Lord, don't forsake us. Gee, the nations around us are are treating us poorly and we're trampled down and it's bad and you know we're just an example of how God forsakes his people it's bad news so step up Joel chapter 2 and verse 18 then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people the Lord answered and said to his people behold I'm sending to you grain wine and oil and you will be satisfied and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations I will remove the northerner far from you. That's not people from New York. <laughs> and drive him into a part of southern verse right, right <laughs> And drive him into a parched and desolate land. His vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise for he has done great things. Tell me your knowledge of the end times when the uh, Messiah returns. What, what's going to happen? Just, just real quick. I don't want to spend an hour on it. Messiah comes. He judges the nations. He judges the nations. And he comes with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. The dead in Messiah will rise first. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air. And we'll go over there. He gathers the people from the four He gathers them from the four corners of the earth. As we just read this morning. As the men in the congregation are grabbing all four corners Etsy. Which is a hassle, by the way. Have you noticed that every now and then? That third one. Again, just like, where is that third one? You, know? but, you swung it too far. But I think it's important that we recognize that while nothing is too difficult for God, it is an amazing thing that God will gather His people from the four corners, no matter how difficult. And He'll gather them together and bring them back to Israel. And then what's going to happen? He will reign. He will reign as... King. Which is the whole theme of Rosh Hashanah to the end of Sukkot. But specifically, Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, we look at him not as much as God as we do as the king of the universe, as the creator and the one who will judge, and he will judge righteously. Amen? Amen. So when he reigns as king, what happens? But, I mean, just suppose, just for sake of argument, he shows up today. Just just hope. He shows up today. And there we are. It's going to make that sound too much. <laughs> so, it will be fast. So tell me. I'm, I'm pretty sure we don't have a temple right now. And there's an unpleasant thing on the dome of the rock. I mean on the Doing temple well. mount. Right? So, what's going to happen? Tell me, tell me in general, what's going to happen? If it's still there, it can't remain. Well, well, to, it can't remain. To use your language. Yeah, there it is. Something, <laughs> then we're going to have some, we're going to have some uh, rubbing of elbows, as it were, right? There's going to be a little bit of fighting, perhaps. Well, now you read the prophets, and you find, and you read about this time, 
And in the days of Messiah, we will be burying the dead for like a couple of years. For seven years, we're going to be marking places and finding dead bones. Well, it's hard to find live bones. So we're going to be finding (laughs) dead bodies and bones, right? So radioactive, who knows? That need to be buried. That need to be buried. But it, it appears that there's going to be a massive fight. Very big enemy. A big enemy, and it's going to be a fight, and he will win, and he will reign. And we call it Armageddon. And we call it Armageddon. If you're looking at, I mean, you got to, is that the beginning, or is that the end? Because at the end, we got another battle. So, I don't want to get into the eschatology now. My point is this, if you look back to this, and it's the heavens, that we're talking about the geography of this text. Yes. That this particularly large enemy comes from the north. The north. And I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea, the rear guard into the western sea, the stench and foul smell of him will rise. For he has done great things. And I, I think the juxtaposition between what we read in Hosea with uh, God is, was his blessing them will be their security from the north and then it actually says that they will smell like the like the Lebanon. Yes. And, uh, and the and, cedars and all. Right. And, and, and the Dafyomi just a couple weeks ago it, it caught on that. I thought that would be a great cologne we should kind of make. Yeah. Lebanon cedar. Cedar man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's probably be French right? It's a cedar um. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just, just touching on this, this theme of in kingdom or kingship which is the theme of, of this time, yes. starting really with the rule when the king is in the field, right. and then on Rosh Hashanah where we are coronating the king, as it were. Right? And, of course, I believe the scriptures teach that Rosh Hashanah will be the, the, a, the day in the future when, the, when Messiah returns. From your somebody mouth to God's ears. Somebody doesn't, have, doesn't understand that, See me after class, and I'll I'll walk through that. But but the question is when you when you look at um, when you look at the scriptures, and you look also at the understanding of the sages, it turns out that Jewish kings are not coronated on Tishri one; they're coronated on Nisan, like the beginning of the religious year. Mm. So why is it then, if if it's true that Messiah comes, you know, returns as it were on Rosh Hashanah, and that's representative of his uh, of his kingship, taking on his kingship. Right. Why is he on the wrong side of the calendar? Why is he on the day on Tishrei one, which is when Gentile kings are coronated, Jewish kings are coronated on Nisan one? Hmm. How this seems to be somewhat, somewhat of a difficulty, as people might say. And the answer is this: because when Messiah, who of course is the Jewish king, when he comes back. He is not just coming back as king of the Jews. He is coming back as king of kings, and all nations will be submitted to him. So that he is coronated on what historically was the day Gentile kings were coronated, because all the nations, all the Gentile, the Goyim, will be submitted to him from that point forward. Amen. Don't you love it when he opens his mouth? It's really very cool. So, yeah, we see that once that happens and he reigns, every Gentile nation must go up and pay homage during Sukkot. And if they don't, 
Lorraine. Yeah. Lorraine! He says it twice about each of us. I think he's got a little sore spot there. But. <laughs> you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, verse 26, and praise the name of Adonai, your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. Do you believe that Jews today would say that God has dealt wondrously with us? I don't think so. I don't think so. This is obviously a time that will happen yet to come. And my people shall never again be put to shame. For those who believe that the uh, visible representation of the church is Israel, we would call that replacement theology or supersessionism, you really have to question when you get to verses like this if they've read the entire Bible in context. Because I don't know many believers who would say that in general, just across the board, Gentile believers have been put to shame throughout history. That's just not the case. But I think we can say it with confidence about the people of Israel. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am Adonai your God, and there is none else, and my people shall never again be put to shame. Second time. And then we go uh, find... I, I think it's interesting in the uh, apostolic reading that we read today, Romans 10, that it uses the same phrase about those who believe. Paul, I think, he's uh, quoting some other translation. Yeah. Is, um, but he's saying is, those who believe in him should not be put to shame. Right. Same deal. Cool. Yeah. And uh, I think that's why Flame Foundation grabbed that one. Uh, it just fits so well. Uh, Mika, as in Mika, Mocha, who is like you, who is like God. Mika 7, 18 through 20. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Again, back to Gloria's comment about the consistency of the fruit of our lips with our actions and our faithfulness. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. And as we saw on Monday, Tashlik, he will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Yaakov and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. It really is a consistent theme that is amazing as we look at it. I think that's a beautiful sound. Don't it's you? a wonderful mm-hmm. sound. Mm-hmm. I love that. We need more of that. <laughs> <laughs> From your mouth to God's ears, too. Okay. Comments on the... Uh, on the... Uh, hot yeah. I see that hand now. There was one interesting thing that um, my dad saw earlier. And uh, I saw that he saw that, so I thought maybe I'd mention it. Um, the... you still on my phone? Where were you guys? Okay. The Gamash has, you know, they have added text in there. They're kind of interesting they had this in there. That verse, uh, that, that little section of scripture in this one, with princes are on separate adding, says, Who's like you, O God, forgiving iniquity and overlooking transgression for those who remain of his heritage after the birth pangs of Mashiach? Ooh. Even when he does become angry, he does not maintain his anger forever because he is a lover of kindness. He will once again have mercy on us. He will grasp our iniquities, preventing them from being held against us. 
and cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Give to us the fulfillment of the true words that you spoke to Yaakov and the words of loving kindness you spoke to Abraham when you promised our fathers long ago at the Akinah. That's so, cool. It's kind of interesting. It's, I mean, they had that after the birth things of the Shia. I just, yeah. I was surprised. They had Most them. of the Christian commentators never bother to tell you that they're calling a particular verse a messianic reference, or this has messianic implications and so forth. The only reason that those Gentiles count, Gentile commentators know that it has messianic overtones is because the sages said this is a messianic reference. It's amazing. The enigmatic Yelkushimani uh, mm. uh, draws. Which we from, all want in English. We all want in English, yeah. But it draws from Midrash that we do have in English mm-hmm. as well, and from the text as well. And, and these three uh, passages put together are. Just a, you know, a marvelous like panorama of, of future events, yeah. and, and and that's and that's by the way that's where Gutnik gets this is from the Kutshimoni where they're saying well this is the days of Messiah is what this is speaking of and so the the forgiveness is not something that we um, that we look in arrears of and say well we've been forgiven everything those type of that kind of thinking leads to callousness of sin. Whereas when we look forward to a future day of judgment where our sins will be forgiven uh, makes us much more sensitive to our sins today. Mm-hmm. And that's the, 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 the beauty that God has given us in this yearly cycle is every year we get to remember that day of judgment, how we can prepare, not waiting for the day to say, well, it's all been wiped away, but re- re- recognizing that, that our sin has, has effect mm-hmm. uh, throughout the year and that we want to, um, even though our sins will be forgiven, they are still an offense to God. Exactly. I think that's a great point because my my uh, testimony today to my people at the church are there are no consequences of being a Christian because because of that they're like, hey, the past is done, today's done, wash away my sins, the future's done. I don't have to do anything. I, I, I don't think they literally live no, that way. Of course way. not. No. <laughs> No, they don't. They don't. It, but it's that idea and concept, and and so that's what I keep telling them. You know, I challenge them that. I say there are no consequences of being a Christian. No, no, no. You got to do this, this. And I'm like, well, well wait, wait, so, you so, you, so you're doing stuff, but you said you didn't have to do anything. And so I do it because I want to. Yeah. So do I. <laughs> so so it really puts to me that's been almost a, revealing to me to tell people is that hey. Uh, you know, you as a Christian to, and walk in a step, there are no consequences. And it's funny because they say that about other people. There are no consequences to be in this, no consequences to that. And then when you hit them with, well, there's no consequences to being a Christian, they're like, uh, well, you, yeah, there are. Well, okay, well, what are they? Sit down, son. Yeah. <laughs> Amazingly, um, as you're starting to see, the argument, the testimony, before those in the church is a simple one. All you have to do is ask them very simple questions so that they turn inside and examine what they've heard. The problem is that they've been acting, we've all been acting like sheep for so long that we don't ask the hard questions. Well, they're at the point where you can just ask the simple questions and get them to look at it and it falls apart. Unfortunately, for many, especially those young people who are going off to college, these questions, these simple questions are asked 
out of the warmth and caring of a family and a community. They're asked by a Buddhist. They're asked by someone of the Baha'i Baha'i faith, uh, uh, someone of the uh, uh, Muslim faith. That's when they're asked simple questions, and their faith falls apart because they don't have the answers. And there's just somebody there just simply saying, well, then what? What do you need to do? Oh, but I thought you didn't need to do. But you do, see, need to do. And then they present an alternative, normally laced with a little bit of truth, just enough to make it go down. And they're gone. And parents are distraught and totally torn apart. And yet, we should be helping those parents before their children are sent away by asking those simple questions and just probing gently. You don't need to talk somebody into keeping the Torah. That's not your job. God's already done that. He's made it clear. These are my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. God has said it from the very, very beginning. Moses said, choose life. Simple. Only we don't press them. And we should do that. We should do it in love. We should also tell them to vote conservative. <laughs> I was just going to say, I appreciate what you've shared with us, and it reminds me of the parable that the Master gave about the wise man who built his house on the rock and the unwise on the sand. And when the winds came, it just... That's right. The winds and the rain come, and it blows it down. Unfortunately, we want to be the, the architect to step up and go, excuse me, seen a lot of sand here. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. And, and, you know, it doesn't need to be confrontational. It doesn't need right. to be harsh. You know, I, I think we all have gone through the harsh phase, and, and now we realize that, you know, we, we really actually can still keep our friends in the church, <laughs> in the visible church. We can, we can still be friends. And just every now and then, twist, twist that knife. A little bit. <laughs> but, you know. In love. In love, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not in the back. That's right. That's right. How does this feel? Tell me how this feels. Turn your head and call. So the idea of, of love, being you know, love the Lord God my heart, you love me, my commandments, and so forth. The concept of love in the Near East culture then does not have the same connotation that love has in Western thinking. Um, In that culture, the concept of love had a lot more connotation to ideas like loyalty. So in other words, you could say, you could replace love in certain contexts with, with the word loyal or loyalty. So in one sense, you should say, if you're loyal to me, keep my commandments. Because loyalty was the expression of love. And so, to me, that, that was cool, because that kind of puts the, the idea of love in a different connotation than what we tra- traditionally think about love in, in our culture. You know? um, so it's that concept of faithfulness and loyalty. That's what love is. And we see that as parents. You tell your children, if you love me, 
in the rules that I've set down for this house, you're going to keep when you're not in this house. Right. When you're out with your friends, they're going to want to do things that others may, but you may not, because you're a member of this house. And if they're loyal to you, if they love you, they're going to do those things out there. And that's why adultery is such uh, a horrible mm. sin in God's eyes. And that's why he uses the connotation of the image of a marriage and the adulterous wife. Sure, and all the whole Hosea. Exactly. Yeah. The whole book of Hosea is a yeah. metaphor for that. Yeah. Because it's all speaking to that lack of loyalty. Exactly right. You don't love me because you're not loyal to me. Right. And, you know, down when it's important. It, um, it kind of ties in a couple of things. First off, you mentioned the word faithfulness. And throughout the scripture, we talk about faith. But faith is really only evidenced by faithfulness. Um, people can say anything, but it's only displayed when they have to act on it. And the only way that they can really be proven to act on it is when loyalty is most tested. Exactly. It's when things are difficult, when things aren't easy, when you have other options. It's why the sages teach that repentance is not true until you've been tempted to do the same thing with the same opportunity to sin. And you choose not to. And you choose not to. So, Baruch Hashem, I have not been tempted to sell arms in the black market. So, you know, I guess I'm doing really good on that one. But not really, because I haven't had to fight the temptation. Yeah. But, you know, so, and, but then going on. See me later the, about those grenade launchers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then the, uh, the other issue on this is think about loyalty. I think about some, perhaps the greatest expression of love that humans have, and it's the one that God uses most commonly for himself, is that of parents. Um, a father loving his children, a mother loving his children. God says, even if the mother forgets you, I will, forgets her child, I will not forget you. It's because that is an extreme sense of loyalty. It doesn't matter what the kids do. It doesn't matter what happens in life, what circumstances turn. A loving parent never, under any circumstances, leaves them. That's right. Exactly. That's good. Yes, ma'am. I just wanted to add, uh, in view of your coming marriage and yours, that... Um, Love is not a feeling, it's a decision. Amen. And there will come a time when, like you said, there will be options to leave, but decide to stay, mm-hmm. because that's what God wants. Amen. And I would say, decide to stay today. Don't that's wait right. for that. Amen. Shall we look at the portion? We're in Deuteronomy chapter 31. It is the entire chapter, and, uh, and I thought there was some uh, some particularly good phrases in here that I wanted to bring out. We, we read it during the service this morning, and I want to thank you, those of you who come to pray. What a blessing it is. Now, we've got the uh, Martin family in Pittsburgh. No, no, no. We've got the Martin family in Tulsa, uh, Tulsa Oklahoma. Uh, was that because of uh, her mother. Suzanne's father? Her mother. Her mother. Suzanne's mother. Is it, is it a birthday? Or I think so. 80th birthday. 80th birthday yes. for Suzanne's uh, mother. Yes, unbelievable. So um, her mother is being visited today by her daughter and her four grandchildren uh, from a womb that's close. So it's really a beautiful thing that they're able to share and I spoke with uh, Scott last night, and uh, uh, the kids are excited. And, uh, you know, you don't really need to prep the Martin kids. They're exuberant with regard to the Torah and the, uh, 
and the um, liturgy without even being prompted. But, uh, so there's uh, the Martins. And then, of course, the, uh, the Gordon family is up uh, in Pittsburgh for their grandmother's birthday. And anybody know what the... She's old, too. She's old. She's old. 76, <laughs> I believe Karen said. Something. Yeah. So anyway, another another blessing this elderly person. Praise yeah. God. Yeah. So they're up there, and you know, that's uh, another beautiful thing with regard to uh, to that. Oh. <laughs> so how do you think Moses felt? Tired. Tired. <laughs> a little worn out. He really has had quite a history, and if you look at it. He's 40, I mean, if you take his, his, his life in the 40s, uh, what did he do the first 40 years? Egyptian. He's an Egyptian. He's raised in the Egyptian court. He knows all of the uh, liturgy of the court. And uh, he, can, uh, he, can, he can do the Egyptian dances. You know, he's, he's a prince. He can walk amongst them and not be noticed. That's right. He can, he can do that. All right? So from the next 40 years, from 40 to 80, what, what was that about? Shepherd. He's in the wilderness. He's wandering around in the desert for a while, and it ends up with a girl, you know, according to the movie. And, and he's a shepherd. He's a shepherd. Wow. He's got a bunch of stupid sheep. It looks like that happened in the next 40 years, too. <laughs> what happened in the next 40 years? At the end of the second 40 years, he had, the church calls it a mountaintop experience. Or a burning bush experience. A burning bush experience. <laughs> Take off the shoes, right? I'm here, ba da da, go down. And he goes down off the mountain, and who does he meet right away? Aaron, Aaron his brother. Where'd you come from? I haven't been back in 40 years. I don't think I noticed. I, I think he walked by. I mean, everyone was wearing the funny hats anyway, you know? He walked by, you know? Wait a minute, it's me! Then the next 40 years? Back in the desert. I mean, he's got a couple of high points where he's actually dealing with people that are important. You know? Let my people go. That was really short. It didn't last that long. Then back on the mountain... Doing the God thing again, which has got to be really cool. He's seen God in a burning bush that doesn't get consumed. He's seen God sitting down, having a meal with the elders of Israel. He's seen God face to face. He's seen God in the pillar of smoke, in the Shekinah, the Shekinah glory, as the church would say, in the tabernacle. His face is glowing. But he's still just a guy walking around in the desert and probably has some pretty sore feet. <laughs> so he's tired. It's been a long time. Do you think he wanted to die? No. He didn't want to well, die. I think he wanted to go into the land and die. Perhaps. He wanted to see the land. He started barking a little bit for that, too. And when the answer was? No. It's not going to happen. Don't ask me again. Don't ask me again. <laughs> If you, if you ask again, you're going to get in trouble. Right? Don't ask. Which implies that he'd been asking more than we read. Precisely. And God, in his infinite mercy, allowed him to stand in the land anyway and meet his son on that mountain. You could tell. Football jerseys. Moshe. Number 36, of course. Yes, sir. 
Well, I was just going to say, one of the commentaries said something like, he, he definitely couldn't have been tired or anything, because then when it describes him dying, his, his eyes eye were damaged. Um, it says something like... He was doing, it says he was doing a triathlon the following week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, it was said, when said he... Again, his eyes had been dimmed. No, his, his eyes dimmed. were not, not dimmed, dimmed, and his vigor had not been diminished. Not yeah. So what does it mean when it says he could not... Yeah, well, that's what the, the commentary was saying. Like, he had reached a point where it was like, well, I can't do anything right now. I, I, there's nothing left for me because I can't go that way, but I can't go from where I came because mm -hmm. God said never to return that way again. So I'm stuck. I and thought it meant he was too feeble to leave his tent. Too. No, that's why the commentary was yeah. so cool oh. because it, it's yeah. easy to think that when he says that. Yeah. That's, that's the beauty of it. He was not... Tired. He wasn't a tired old man. Right. But he couldn't go any further. He was stuck. What does this remind you of? A godly man who wants to go over there and he stopped. The Apostle Paul made it very clear. We wanted to go into Asia, but the Spirit stopped us. It, the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, would not allow us to. That's exactly what Moshe Rabbeinu was saying. I want to go over there. I can't go back there, and he won't let me go in there. I'm stuck. Actually, that's interesting. You mentioned going that way on your timeline to um, Paul. If you go the opposite direction, we have a similar example with King David. I want to build you the temple. Excellent. No, Excellent. you can't. Excellent. Rabbi Gimpel has a really interesting teaching on this concept when he points out the fact that over and over and over and over again, righteous men are given missions they themselves cannot, cannot complete. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, you think about you go to the list, it's phenomenal. David wants to build a temple, Moses wants to go to the land. Joshua was commissioned to go conquer the land. He doesn't finish that job either. I mean, throughout the entire scriptures, it's like over and over and over again, you have these men who are given jobs that they can start, but their, their main job, it almost seems like, is basically to set the stage for somebody else to do the job. Mm -hmm. Or to teach that person to be able to do the job. And if you think about yeah. um, as men, that is actually, in a sense, what we are also called to. Because none of us get the chance to finish the job before um, either Messiah comes back, Baruch Hashem, or Mesrat Hashem, or, or we pass from this life. But we are commissioned to teach our children to be able to do what we cannot. And that's the whole concept of the arrow. You it have, goes past you. You have just encapsulated the definition of the tzaddik class on Tuesday. <laughs> that's what it's all about. And I am convinced it, it won't be the elder guys. This world will be changed. And it will be changed by you and him. And him. I see it. <laughs> and him. Him and him and all of the women that are the helpmates that make you the great men that you can be. And if not you, you'll be saying the same thing as me one day. It may not be this generation, but it'll be that generation. <laughs> She's got that voice down. You got me. To take that a little bit slightly different direction, <coughs> there was a little bit of commentary on uh, why is it that Moses can't enter the land and help conquer it. And said, you know, 
Moses has said, uh, Moses' face was like the sun, and Yehoshua's face was like that of the moon. Like, Moses was like, boom, heavy duty. Everything he did was accompanied with, like, spiritual... Um, and power. And so it's like, why didn't Moshe get to go in? If he got in the land, they could have conquered the land instantaneously, just like that. So it's like, why on earth would God not do that? And the reason is because Yehoshua going to land, when he goes in, there's there's still supernatural things going on, like Jericho and things like that, but it's hard. It takes effort. When they go to Jericho, they don't walk up to the walls fall. They gotta do stuff with it. And so there's there's actions that accompany it. It's hard work. There's sacrifice that accompanies it. So when they enter the land and start doing things, it is the whole idea of bringing, what, what is our purpose in this world? It is to bring um, God's presence, as, as it says in commentary, to the lowest realm. Amen. And so God could have had Moshe go into the land and conquer it like that. It would have been hard. And it would have accomplished the same thing. But we accomplished our purpose in life by actually doing those hard things. So in the same way, you know, as some people say, why is it that, you know, God even had all this stuff happen? Why not just have, you know, Yeshua die? You know, we don't, we don't, why even have the whole sin thing? You know, why, why would God do that? And the reason is because he gave us a purpose in life to, to bring him, bring his presence to this world for us to do things. And there was hard work, there was sacrifice that accompanies that. But the reason he gave us all those commandments is to be able to, to give us a purpose instead of just doing it. And to sanctify his name throughout all the world. If... Uh, if you didn't want us to do anything, there would have been two people in the world to come. Adam and Chav. It's over. They blew it. He fixed it. Boom. We're done. And you never would have the opportunity to praise him. <laughs> <laughs> so, this concept of Moses not entering into the land, uh, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's intriguing because does the scripture not say there was no prophet greater than Moses. Absolutely. Does not scripture say he was the most humblest man, the most meekest man that ever ever walked? Does not scripture say he spoke with God face to face? You know, all these miracles that God performed through his hand, uh, you know, the he's the redeemer, he's the picture of the Messiah as it were. Why is it that God didn't let him go in to the promised land? What does the scripture say the reason is? He didn't sacrifice his name. When? At the, at the rock. rock. At the rock. So at the risk of going into rocks and wells. <laughs> go there. <laughs> the the I mean it just it always it always just kind of perplexed me. Why? I mean, okay, so he's he's human. He lost his temper. You know, these you know, these these people would I mean I would have I lost my last nerve, you know, <laughs> one year into the 40-year trek. And he, he, he's, he kind of loses it for a moment. And he strikes the rock when God said, speak to the rock. And that one incident cost him to forfeit the promise, as it were, right? The promised land. What was so significant about that event that God would say, that's it. The greatest prophet, the most humblest, weakest man on the, on the planet, who has you know, given his entire, uh, the, the last, you know, uh, at this point, you know, uh, 40 or 80 years, depending on how you want to reckon it, to serve me, that's it. 
you're not you're not going to inherit the promise. <clears throat> what do we have for the losers? Why? What was so significant about that incident at the rock? He blew the metaphor. He was a living parallel, and he blew it. Well. Well, he, he, was that, he was at that rock before. Yeah. And the first time he came to the he came to that they came to that rock, or it's recorded that they, they come to the rock, right? And the, people, the rock followed them. Right. Have <laughs> we seen that rock before? Yeah. The, the people need water, right? And they're complaining as they were always doing. Strike the rock. And he and God says, strike the rock, and he does, and water comes out, and the people are saved, delivered, right? Then we get towards the end of the 40-year trek, and we have the same, you know, here, the movie's playing again. We're at the rock, we're thirsty, and now, and, and they've been complaining and, you know, mumbling, carrying on, and Moses is frustrated. And God says, speak to the rock, but Moses takes a staff and strikes the rock. So he disobeyed Hashem. But yet, water still came out of the rock, and the people were delivered, saved again, right? What's so significant about the rock? Shaul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that that rock was Messiah, mm -hmm. the rock of our salvation. So on the, on the Peshat, on the surface level, it's just a rock. But there's a much deeper um, thing happening here because the rock is a picture of Messiah Yeshua. And it's interesting that this we have two incidents recorded. Incident number one, incident number two. Hmm, maybe there's a parallel. First coming, second coming. First coming, the rock is to be smitten. It is to be struck. But not the second time. The second time, the rock is to be spoken to, to be addressed, not to be smitten. And if you try to smite the rock the second time he comes, you forfeit the promise. You but, lose the promise. But that salvation still comes forth greater. Sure. Yeah. He so, blew the he blew the parallel. This beautiful story is laid out and he is walking out the most awesome parallel of the Redeemer of Israel that could ever be told. And he messed it up. And that is why the greatest prophet did not inherit the promise, as it were. Can you imagine him sitting with God? Okay, so let's see. I, 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 I walk you through this once, right? So here I was going to do this, you were going to do that, and I would come later and do the same thing, and then and I would do it, and and then you would do it, and then I would come later and do the same thing, and what did you hit the rock for a second time? I only get smitten one. And, and you fact, the word in the first instance, which by the way is Exodus 17 at a place called Rephidim, that story. The word that's used there in the Hebrew for, for strike the rock is the same word used in Isaiah 53 hmm. when it talks about he will be smitten. Uh, it's the same Hebrew. Uh. <laughs> so the rock, and, and then of course you have the Psalms. The talk about the rock of our salvation lead me to the rock. So yes, yeah. So the rock is Mashiach, and that's and Shaul confirms that for us in First Corinthians chapter ten. So that is why 
this seemingly kind of brief moment of, you know, uh, indiscretion. indiscretion was such a profound event for Moses because it's teaching us something far, far greater. And it's important that we understand that. I'll bet you Moses understood it about an hour and a half later. I didn't mean this great. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's good. Thank you. Outstanding. Outstanding. Yeah. Jesus is a rock. Jesus is a rock. He's a rock. We'll time of storm. So, most important of the song, obviously. You want to see the captain do it? Without a bottle, I That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that. <laughs> I'm not doing it if you're not. <laughs> Transitioning just a little bit to. Um, moving past the rock. past the rock. Moses wanted to do the same thing. Yeah. No, not striking this time. We, we've spoken to it gently. Already. That's right. That's right. Um, the, uh, one of my favorite characters in the entire Bible. <laughs> Makes a is, grand. Is is his name Joshua? I don't know why I like. It's this a good guy. name. <laughs> it's a good name. A good name, but um, he gets his commissioning in this in this parashah, <laughs> and um, and it's particularly cool. I have read some of the commentary here and how they parallel some important things when they talk about because um, Moses speaks to the people of Israel first and tells them, "Don't worry, you're going into the land." The enemies you're fighting or, you know, whatever, but God will be with you. And he says them specifically, be strong and courageous, which we're going to see that phrase over and over and over again. Um, and then he says... Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Just from Joshua. That's right. Joshua 1, verse 9. The next verse, it's interesting, he says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. And then it says, you shall come with this people. And the Hebrew commentators, they delve into all sorts of interesting things about that phrase. And, like, well, what does it mean? Does it mean that he's going to be, like, you know, part of a committee of leaders and they'll lead the people? And so he's kind of with the people, but he's not really in charge of them. And no, 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 it can't be what he means because you only really have one leader. And it gets too complicated if you've got, like, you know, a body of people making decisions. So Joshua is not subservient to the people, but he's going to go with them in the sense that God will fight for him. And it's kind of neat as, as someone who's beginning to step into... Um, a leadership role myself in 33 days um, how cool it is in a sense that like God sets Joshua apart as the leader but he informs him that the responsibility for being the leader is not going to fall on him alone in other words the idea being you do what you're supposed to do you be in charge I'm standing right behind you no I'm going to go before you I'm going to take care of all of the things that are going to come up ahead of you and I'm going to be with you. And so in the same sense that he's going to be with the people, and the idea that the people don't have to worry, because when you follow a leader, the pressure's off. I just got to do what he says. Mm-hmm. All the responsibilities on him. It's going to be okay. Mm. So in a sense, God's giving Joshua almost that same sense of peace. Responsibility's on you. You've got to do more so than they got to. But don't worry, because I'm going to take care of the consequences. I'm going to take care of the circumstances. I'm going to fight for you. Mm. Don't be afraid. Because ultimately, I'm the one who's really in charge. Mm-hmm. It is. It's good. Mm-hmm. There is a morbid curiosity with death in the church. Mm-hmm. 
To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So it must be better to be dead than to be alive. When the Greek mindset, this world is just a passing away, my home is in the by and by. So we become so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. And we get this weird sense that it would actually be better to be dead than to be alive. And yet the Bible itself, from end to end, is totally against that concept. King David, and we do it in the, in the morning prayers, King David says, is there anybody down in Sheol that is going to praise you? Is that, is that going to happen? No, it doesn't happen. I'm ready to be saved. You don't want to let me die. Don't let me die. Because the dead cannot praise you. I can praise you now. To think that Moses wanted to die like some Christian martyr looking forward to being cooked in some pot or hung or whatever is not what the Bible teaches. This man wanted to take those people across. He wanted to get into that land. He wanted to see the promise. And it was only because of disobedience that he was not alive. We should desire to live long and prosperous lives where we can praise the Holy One of Israel each and every day. And the sages have given us these wonderful ways that we can actually do that. Even while laying in bed, when you first wake up in the morning, just thank Him for the very breath of life. I got another day. Maybe I messed up yesterday. I'm going to do better today. Your mercies renew day by day. That should be our focus. It should not be, well, you know, it's all right. I'm just, this is really not what God had in mind. I, you know, it'd be better for me to go to heaven rather than be here. But the boat of God is never supposed to be the boat of man. I've got you next. I've uh, heard a teaching on this, and uh, it was uh, very good. Uh, the teacher is um, Doug Batchelor has a congregation in California, I think. Uh, Amazing Facts is his ministry, anyway. Uh, and he was addressing this Christian concept of my last breath here is my first breath in the heavenlies. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was saying that scripture doesn't actually teach that. It's we go to the grave, and when, Yeshua, does. when Yeshua comes back and we hear the, you know, then it's people true. will come out. You know, there is no, you know, being up in the sky, chilling out with Yeshua. It's when he comes back with his reward. And we uh, regain that consciousness, so to speak, for mm-hmm. lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Then, Absolutely. First Corinthians 15, 15 and 51. In a moment, in the twinkling of the eye, we shall all be changed. This mortal will put on immortality. Right. Yeah. I, what you were saying, I think there, but there's a balance at least a lot of times in the Apostolic Scriptures. I wouldn't say that there should be a like a longing for death. That's my point. That's my only point. I, I hear you. But but the Scriptures are replete with like a, a peace about death. Mm-hmm. And even that after we die, it's a good thing. Like, uh, what is it? To die is gain, right? Right. Um, and crown for those who long for Absolutely. Right. But but the focus in all of those passages is on the hope of the resurrection. 
That's the idea. That is what makes us different from every other people on the planet. They die without hope, Paul says. We die with hope. We have a hope of the resurrection. That one day, as he just said, we will rise and we will be together with him. That's the hope. It's not to now be there. That's, that's not what we should be longing for. We should be dying with hope, but loving to live. Well, and the concept of going there, again, a lot of that idea and imagery, you know, we've inherited from Catholicism. Correct. You know, Which is why they built such grand... Wings floating around. Yeah, like that's that. why they built such big cathedrals. Right. That it would be like another place. It would be like not being here. But... I think scripture really teaches more that Hashemayim is coming here. Correct. Mm-hmm. The new Heaven came down in here. That's a great hymn. That's right. I think a lot of what they pull from is what Messiah saying to the thief that's hanging on the cross beside him. You know, you will be dead but you will be present with me this day. You know, so how, you know, that's a good thing. You know, and I think that is um, the hope that we do have. You know, we're not going, you know, our spirit is going to be somewhere. It's not, it's, it's not going to die. Our spirit is not going to die. And so... You know, I think you have to balance it all. As Peter is saying, there is a balance to everything. And we can go here, or we can go there, or we can at least attempt to stay well-grounded and balanced. Um, That's exactly what we're saying. Right. That this morbid curiosity with death is what's wrong. If death is actually better than life, then we should commit suicide as a pact right now. But the scriptures teach against that. Correct. Even the church knows that that's not right. right. We should desire to live, and life trumps every commandment so that you can keep someone alive. That's so important, and that should be our focus, and that was the point of my comment. Not that death is not ultimately a good thing, that the scriptures are not replete with being a good thing. It's just not a better thing. It's not something that we should desire now, while alive, we should live, and he's giving us life more abundantly. Because we have a hope that when death does come, we're at peace. We are at peace, and we will have achieved that holiness that we don't have today. I got three of you. Boom, boom, boom. Go. Four. Um, and I think that the, the big the big key in this in talking about peace and balance and all that is if you study Paul and you study Moses and even some of Yeshua's words, the implication I get is life and death are on something of as far as what we want on a kind of an interesting even plane insofar as we want to be in obedience to God. We want to be in obedience to God in His service and in His presence. So Paul says, basically, I'm torn. I can stay here, and I can do all this great stuff that God's given me to do, and I want to keep doing that. But on the other hand, you know, 
to die as gain. So I get to be with Messiah. I want that too. And I can praise him better there. Okay, whatever. Or a different way there, however you want to phrase it. Right. Um, Moses, we seem to see something similar. Interestingly enough, um, there's different conflicting midrashim on what Moses did when he dies. But we see this pleading with God. Don't, don't let me die. Let me, let me go take them into the land. But then, when it comes time to die, the sages teach that Moses, in the ultimate act of obedience, doesn't die. He chooses to die. He, as Messiah does on, uh, when he on dies, cross, yeah. he actually submits to God's will in death, which is something that none of us can are really even capable of doing. But Moses was at a point where his obedience even in death. I mean, so we, I think when you see Yeshua's words, he says, this is life eternal. They may know you the only true God, the Messiah is whom you have sent. So I think that that is the balance. The balance is not, well, we want to be in heaven because it's happier, and we, we don't, or we want to stay here because, you know, this is uh, what we're called to, and or whatever else. the stock finally going up. Or whatever, <laughs> you know, I want to be with my family, right, or whatever right. it might be. Yeah. The balance is, I want to be obedient to God, and I want to be serving Him. So if I'm supposed to be here, Baruch Hashem, I want to be here, because Amen. that is what I'm supposed to be doing. Amen. If I'm supposed to be, um, you know, out of this life and in the next and whatever format that may end up taking, that is God's will too and in some way I will be with him there too so I will take whatever he has for me. I mean, I like that. And when I rise in the morning and I thank him for the very breath of life it is he who has chosen to let me serve him another day. To I'm have thankful that. for that. You made a statement that life trumps all commandments and I don't think that's true. If uh, somebody... Correct me if I'm wrong. Which, which ones? Certainly idolatry. Idolatry. If, okay. somebody, if somebody holds a gun to your head yeah, yeah, and yeah. says... Yeah. Adultery. You're right. Uh, which, adultery. Which, adultery, idolatry, murder, murder and, blasphemy. and blasphemy. Yeah. And blasphemy. Which, by the way, is part of the uh, um, part of the reason for Kol Nidre, right. which we're going to talk about. But you're exactly right. Thank you. That's, that's good. I mean, out of 613, yeah, okay. 609. 609 of them. <laughs> but yeah, you get the idea. That's good. Thank you, Doug. I was just going to continue with what Gloria was saying about the spirit not dying that has to go somewhere. Or the soul, probably a better word. Well, and it's interesting because with the same teaching that I was uh, reading up on and viewing is that the spirit goes back to God who gave it, and the soul would be the combination of the spirit and the flesh that God, that Adam became a living soul, that the scriptures say that he didn't um, get a soul, but he became one. So, in effect, when we uh, see the resurrection, it's God giving us that spirit back to animate these bodies. Yeah, spirit of life. become living souls again. Yeah, spirit of life. I think we could have a good class on that, whether there's two things there or three, and whether or not, you know, somebody says, you know, do you know you have a soul? What's the answer? I am a soul. Part of the part of our problem is that we we draw a lot from both Greek and Egyptian theology. Mm-hmm. Our understanding of Christian theology draws from it as well. And this idea that that death obviously it's not that death is good. It's just that's the other that's the other existence. That's the Another existence. What we need to recognize is death is the step necessary for resurrection, mm-hmm. and that's the power of God is revealed in resurrection. What you will, you, you can challenge our, our brothers and sisters in, in the traditional uh, Christian church by asking them, why do you want to go and be with him? What point 
does resurrection play a role in that? And if it doesn't include resurrection, then it's a false teaching. Mm. The resurrection is the hope, not I get to go be with him. Correct. And in uh, fact, Romans 10 that we read today says that very thing, that you believe that God raised him from the dead. It was the resurrection. And not to answer, because I don't know if the answer can be known in, this, in our understanding of the physical world, uh, but as a way of imagining, maybe we should stop saying, where are they, as opposed to when are they. Mm. Uh, not teaching a soul sleep or anything weird like that, but simply saying that you know, time and space are things we don't co- fully comprehend. And to be absent from the body and present with the Lord does not in any way imply that we don't go down into the grave and wait there because we don't understand the physics of it all. We simply say that to be absent with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord is the teaching. But at the same time, the teaching is that the resurrection is when we are united. With the him. dead in Messiah will That's rise. Right. That's exactly right. But when we're alive, we'll also rise. I'm sorry? That's right. Oh, absolutely. That's that's the mystery. The mystery. The mystery is not the resurrection. That's an interesting thing because in First Corinthians 15, he says the mystery is that we will not all sleep, and that there is a there is a there is a method by which to arrive in the presence of God without a resurrection, or for some, but only for some, because the resurrection is the is the primary. Revelation of God's power. That's why we pray in the Amidah. The revelation, the resurrection, is His primary revelation of His power Amen. in this world. Because He, He, He is stronger than death. That's right. We see a couple things in the Apostolic Scriptures. First, I got you. Um, is that death is the first guy, in like a fire, right? Right. So death itself is a bad thing, not a good thing. Death is going into the lake of fire. Secondly, um, Revelation talks about. A second resurrection, not just one. And that blessed are those who, who attain the second resurrection. So it's obvious that the, the, the easy, alive, dead, better to be dead, that's what I'm saying, that's not true. It's better to be alive. But should you die, we have the hope of the resurrection. And that's the power of God unto salvation. That's what Romans teaches. That's what the Bible says. Good. Last comment is time. Um, two comments. <laughs> the, and thinking about the death and resurrection issue, um, those who are asleep and are dead have still not yet fulfilled their purpose. And I think that that is the mistake in a lot of the traditional theology, like this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Right. The idea is that the purpose is to die and to go to heaven. Paul actually teaches in 1 Corinthians that if there was a resurrection, we are to be most pitied. Right. Now think about that for a second. If, if, if death means I go to heaven and we walk streets of gold and play little golden harps, and then why am I pitied if, if I, there's no resurrection? So obviously I've achieved everything I ever wanted to achieve. Right. But that actually has nothing to do right. with the ultimate goal of your existence. The ultimate goal of your existence is the garden. Right. The goal is on this earth, in where, this where does Messiah reality, right here. here on this planet. With a, with a perfected body and a perfected soul and spirit that's able to serve God eternally all the time, Amen. that is the goal, with him here. Good. Did you want to follow up on that? Because I'm just going to change yeah. that a little bit. Well, I was going to follow say, up, just follow up? going back to what my comment in the beginning of the discussion, that once again, <clears throat> he could just, you know, he, he, make, he could fix it. 
there's a reason why there's it's a process. Mm -hmm. So I just want to add that's that on. Well, that's good. That's you know, bring it in a nice circle. The you know the idea that you know we're we're passing through this home is not our home, right? Some of that is taken from the, the Torah in its description of Abraham, right? Because Abraham was a sojourner in a strange land, right. and he was looking for a city whose maker was God. Okay, and and it's kind of fitting because as we approach Sukkot, where we live in temporary dwellings. Abraham spent his whole life in the sukkah. <laughs> okay. Which is the epitome of saying, I am totally dependent. Okay, this is a temporary dwelling, right? And he never dwelt in, in, a, in a city uh, as such, at least at least as far as my understanding. Well, it didn't work out for his nephew too well. Right. But he was looking for a city whose maker was God. There's only one city that's described, and it's it's described in the scripture, and it's really only it's really only uh, elaborated with any detail in the apostolic writings, right. and that is the New Jerusalem. Right. We got Ezekiel 37 and 8, but right. you get the detail in Revelation. Right. Sure, that is the city, the permanent city, the walled city, if you will, that Abraham was looking for. And so in that sense, he well, he lived his whole life in this temporary existence in tents, moving from here to here, and you know, whatever. Um, and I think that's a cool concept in light of the fact that we're now approaching Sukkot, where we're commanded to live in temporary dwellings. And there's a whole lot of other themes around that, namely that God is our shelter and our protection and all that. But, but the the idea is we aren't supposed to become attached to the things of this world, mm -hmm. per se. But we are to look forward to the promises of God and ultimately to the reward that he has for his people, which is eternal life with him in a city That's that it. comes down to us that is made by God. Good. Well done. Just off of that, yes. just we're, we're not content. I mean, the, the notion that we're content with this life as long as we can live and keep the commandments is silly because, I mean, we pray the Elaine who says, may we soon see your mighty That's right. That's right. You know, we want, we want the day. ultimate. Uh, we're not content. But the difference is that we're not saying that uh, it'll be, you know, if, if we just all die, it'll be good in the by and by. What we're saying is we want him to come here right. and establish his kingdom. Soon and in our days. Okay. Sure. Right. I'd like to, uh, if you got your sitter, I'd like to go back to the uh, the prayer we added today that only gets added today. And, uh, in just a Page 430, I'm going to say 434 in the uh, sitter. Shakari, 435 during Shakari, yeah. 435, 436, how about that? Does that sound good? I've got 435. 435, there you go. The big gray box? The big gray box. It is the big gray box. So if you got your sitter, um, 
let's uh, let's just close that in prayer together. If you don't have a sitter, you just listen along, and we'll get to a big amen at the end. You know, just do it. Everybody got it? Yeah. Together, Master of the Universe, fulfill my requests for good. Satisfy my desire and grant my request. Pardon all my iniquities and all the iniquities of my household. A pardon of kindness, a pardon of compassion. And purify me of my errors, my iniquities, and my willful sins. Remember me with a favorable memory before you. And consider me for salvation and compassion. Remember me for long life, for good life, and for peace good livelihood and sustenance, bread to eat, clothes to wear, wealth, honor, a long life engaged in your Torah and your commandments, an intelligence and insight to understand and discern the depths of your mysteries. Grant a complete recovery to all our sufferings and bless all our handiwork. Decree upon us good decrees, salvations and consolations. Nullify all harsh and evil decrees against us and dispose the feelings of the government, its counselors and ministers, upon us for good. Amen, and so be your will. Amen? Amen. I just think that's really good. Thank you, everyone. I pray that this has been uh, a good reflection on our purpose, our reason for being here. And uh, as, a, uh, as an over-the-top and completely addicted uh, eschatological student. If you understand the sacrifice of the very Lamb of God through those first four spring feasts, we are living in the three feasts here in the fall that speak so wonderfully and so loudly of the coming of the Messiah of Israel, the coming of the God of Israel the coming of the king of the universe. We should be reveling in it and practicing. Because what the church doesn't realize is that Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot are going to go on for an awfully long time. <laughs> Practice is the wrong way to refer to it. That's right. <laughs> Practice now so you don't look like a good one. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Amen.